You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. How's everyone today? Good. Let me ask you a question. As you think about your family, as they appropriate for Mother's Day, who do you most resemble? Not physically, but uh, personality, behaviorally. Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Is it your brother? Is it your sister? Is it one of your grandparents? One of your aunts and uncles? Who do you resemble? What, what you resemble, I would say, often shows what you admire and trust. J.I. Packard, in his classic book, Knowing God, and if that's a resource you do not have, I would greatly encourage you. It's, you have the Bible, and then you have Knowing God. <laughs> I think that's equivalent because you get there's so much truth that you can get from this book. But he says this about our relationship and, and our understanding of our relationship with God. He says, understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I believe this passage in 1 John is getting at that crust of the matter. John wants the church there... To be amazed of being called the child of God. So amazed that it leads them and leads us to worship in all of our lives as God's Father delights. So follow along as I read from the end of chapter 2, beginning at verse 28, and through chapter 1 through verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we have confidence and not shrink from, his, from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, One who keeps on sinning has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Again, Father, we come to passages where John is both so encouraging and reminding us of who we are, but also he, he challenges us and he warns us. And, and so again, Lord, I pray as we, as we study this passage, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us, that you would change us, that, you would, you, that we would meet you here and that we would be forever changed as a result of our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Peterson, one of my seminary professors, written a book called Adopted by God. He shares this story. Dying woman's children advertises for new family. So ran the headline for an Associate Press story from London on February 13, 1998. Ten-year-old British twins whose mother was dying of cancer placed an ad in their local newspaper, the Oxford Mail, and, and, ran, and that ran, listen what, he, what they ran it, kids, dogs for hire, life term contract, sad losers need not apply. The story continues. Lauren and Ashton Mills made their appeal in the situation's vacant column of Wednesday's mail with the full approval of their mother. Toby, 43, a single mom. Toby has been diagnosed with breast cancer that later spread to her liver. By Thursday afternoon, uh, by Thursday, thousands of pre, uh, potential foster families had responded to the twins' plea. The twins said that the ad was a bit of fun that made their mother laugh, but stressed the point was serious. We both know that soon we're going to need someone for our new mom and dad, Ashton told the son. Britain's largest newspaper. I wanted somebody who will listen to me, someone who doesn't lose their temper for no reason. I don't want them to be so strict as mom can be. As you hear that story, I'm sure we can empathize with what those twins were going through. Whether our childhood was good or whether our childhood was hard or difficult or sad or somewhere in between, we all know the joys and sorrows of family life. These twins will soon experience the pain of losing someone that they love very, very much. They will soon be orphans. Yet these two children want to have parents. They want to have a family. I believe this is what John is getting at with us. We need a family. We need a spiritual family. In fact, I like how Dr. Peterson describes this. He says, the sum of the matter is that our need for adoption is far greater than we might have imagined. Were we simply orphans, much like these twins? No. We were far more, far more desperate than orphans. We were slaves of Satan and sin. Then the Son of God redeemed us. The Spirit of Sonship opened our hearts, and the Father made us his own. So with that in mind, in this passage, I want us to work through three questions. First question has to do with provision. What provides us the privilege of becoming a child of God? 
The second question has to do with motivation and power. What empowers and motivates us to live as a child of God? And the third question has to do with practice. What are the practices of a child of God? Look with me again at verses, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Here we see the provision of being a child of God. And what is that provision? The love of the Father. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So let's unpack that. We see his love in effect and purpose and in quality. So what do I mean by effect? It is the Father's love that makes people children of God. It expresses here the idea of adoption as well as election. And what I mean by adoption, when our kids, when we finally, after a year, after we went through all the um, home studies and everything, when we were in front of the judge, the judge says, I declare your children the sons and daughters of us. It is the judge who makes that final decision for those kids who are adopted. But also in the sense of election, it is that we chose our kids to be part of our family. We made the effort to bring them as part of our family. We chose them to be our family. This is in mind with God here when, he, when John is saying that, that he has made them children of God. It is God's proactive act for people who trust Jesus are born of God. He makes it happen. Now, in broad terms, we know all humans are children of God and that God is their creator and maker. However, more particularly, John is communicating Christians are God's children in a fuller sense. We belong to God as securely and permanently as children belong to their parents, much like we, we are setting apart um, Dorothy Ellen to be a part of the Macri family, right? That is eternal. That's forever. That is what God is doing. He's making his children forever. We have that forever relationship. And that love resides in us forever. That is the effect of what is happening here in this passage. What is the purpose of the Father's love? Well, the purpose is to the Father bestows such love so that we might enjoy his favor as part of his family. See, the benefits of being his child expands to all kinds of people. Here, the context is not only Jews, but also to the Gentiles. See, John has not lost his sense of amazement and wonder of this truth, that God's love is so broad that it includes all sorts of people in the kingdom of God. And then the quality. And for us to understand the quality of this love that God has for us, we must remember how children were treated during that time in the Greco-Roman world. They were considered as property. They were not treated always with affection or fairness, much like in our culture today. We idolize our kids. I know that I have to confess, a lot of times we make our kids idols in our lives, right? That was not happening in this, during this uh, time in history. Children might be abused. They were often unwanted. In fact, if, when a children was born, then the father was free to order them to be exposed, taken out of the way, and left to die. So childhood by that, and th during those times by my, was by mo no means a time of safety and nurture. So for them to hear John's words here, 
They were so tender and gracious words that they are children of God who will always nurture them, who will always provide them a place of safety. That was totally radical for them to hear. See, God is the one who will treat us beyond fairness and beyond affection. His affections are pure and perfect for us always, right? He's the one who ensures us that we are his children today, tomorrow, and forever. See, his love doesn't waver. It doesn't give up. It doesn't end. Hear these words that we're going to sing later on how, from how deep the Father's love for us. It says this, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that we, that he should give his, son, his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That he would give his only son to make us sinners broken his very own treasure. Remember one day after a long day of ministry, early on in my ministry, I came out, I was frustrated, I was discouraged. At that time, my son was two years old and he was walking all over the place. I remember seeing him and I was just so discouraged, but I looked at him and I was like, there was a sense of awe. And I went to him and I picked him up and I hugged him. And I said, I just love you so much. I delight in you so much. And I was hugging him and hold on to him. And he was kind of like looking at me like, are you crazy, dad? Or, you know, what's going on, dad? But get the sense, that is what God does for us. His love for us is that radical, that, that he sees us and he delights in us and he, and he hugs us and he reminds us that we are his children today, tomorrow, and forever. That is what John is trying to communicate to the church. He's trying to encourage them, remember who you belong to. Remember who made you that child. It is the love of the Father. So I ask, are you awed? Are you amazed? Do you marvel? That you are a son and daughter of this loving God. That you had nothing to do with it. But God, out of his love for you, chose you to be his very precious, delighted and treasured son or daughter. May that truth resonate day in and day out as we live our lives But not only do we need to answer the question, the provision of this to be the child of God, what, what motivates us, what empowers us to live as a child of God? We see that in verses, uh, the end of chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and then verses, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 and verse 9. How do we live in, in light of a world that is against us? What enables us? What motivates us? Well, I think John is, is reminding us the power to live, the motivation to live as a child of God is the transforming hope of Jesus' return and his abiding righteousness. Well, what do I mean? Part of this motivation is this transforming hope of Jesus' return. In this passage, we see the word appears. And when, when John is talking about the word appears, especially in verses 28 and 29, he's referring to Christ's second coming. It is his future appearing that John has in mind where he will come in judgment. It is this reality that, we will, that he will come again, and when he comes, he will, we will be like him in, all human, in, in his humanity. This is a guarantee. Make no mistake, he is coming, John is reminding them, and reminding us today. And because he is coming as a child, hold on to that certain confident hope. Because this hope is one of confidence. And we see in verse 28 that it's not only one of confidence, but, it, but as children, we can be unashamed as we wait. See, as God's children remain in Christ, and as Christ remains in us, then when Christ appears, when he comes again, and when he judges, 
the world, we can be confident and be unashamed as we stand before him. Why? Because of this second motivation of Jesus' abiding righteousness. They and we can be confident and unashamed because God will see the righteousness of Jesus in us. His judgment is based on what we believe about Jesus. It is a right belief about Jesus that will enable us to avoid condemnation, to avoid the judgment that he has on the rest of the world. And so with this assurance of Christ's righteous status and example firmly before us, we can stand secure and unashamed at his return. And this gives us that motivation now to live as his child. We stand firm in the hope of Christ's return. We show forth who we belong to as we wait. Those who remain steadfast know that their righteous stand verifies their divine parentage. They stand righteous because they know the one who is righteous. It is this hope in Jesus Christ's return, in his abiding righteousness, that will transform and, and empower us and motivate us to live as God's children in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of people trying to influence us to depart from what we know as true. Think it, uh, thinking of it this way. It's a silly illustration, but think of it this way. One might liken this hope to a person who knows that a large tax refund is in the mail or going to be put in your checking account, which already happened, I'm sure. But who, 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 who then with assurance lays plans to spend the money on something big? Its arrival, after all, is just a matter of time. In that same way, knowing that Jesus is coming back, and as we abide in his righteousness, we can live it confidently in big righteous ways until that arrival. And then not only for, for John to, to remind us of that, he reminds us of one more thing in verse 9. God's seed abides in us. Again, reminding us that we are his, God's descendants. And because we are God's descendants, then we can reflect the character in our actions. We belong to God. And his seed belong, resides in us, right? And then we can, we, can, we, can, we can enjoy this being a child and reflect being a child of the Father to those around us. So the question we need to ask is, what, what does it look like for us to live confidently and unashamed as his child in a world that is against him and against us? What does it look like? I said earlier, I said if I was in a Sunday school class teaching this class, I want, would want to interact with you. Um, but since I'm not able to do that at this point, these are some things that come to mind for myself. You know, what does it look like? I, I believe it looks like that we, we, live in a, we live confidently and securely in our relationship with God and we don't doubt our salvation before, because Jesus has secured our salvation once and for all times. We don't live in fear of judgment or condemnation. Uh, a woman I counsel for many years, that's her struggle. She fears whatever she does, God is going to judge her on. To know because you're in Christ, you do not have to fear God's judgment on you. You don't have to fear him condemning you because Christ has took that for you. So when we face our fears, we can face them confidently knowing that God is for us and with us. That he delights to help us work through our fears. You know, we daily remind ourselves that he is our father and we are his children. 
And so there's one of dependence that we can just cry out to him knowing that he's going to help us in this journey. But we're confident because of Christ's sure return and his abiding righteousness in us. That's what motivates us then to live as his child. The last question we want to ask has to do with practice. What are the practices of a child of God? According to chapter 3, verses 4 to 10, I would sum it up in this way. The practices of a child of God is reflecting the righteousness and love of our father and our older brother, Jesus. Again, in, this, in these six verses, we're reminded of Jesus, who he is, and what he has done to enable us to practice righteousness and love others. We're reminded so that we can be certain that we know him and that we have a growing relationship with him. What, is, what does this passage remind us about Jesus? Verse 5, he took away our sins. And he had no sin, right? See, the central purpose of Christ's first coming was to remove sin, both in terms of the forgiveness of sins past, but also the elimination of sins in daily life. We see in verse 7, he is, he is the one who is righteous. He's the one, the one we belong to is righteous. And at, at the cross, as we put our faith in, in his in his death and resurrection, right, at the cross, we, we find we are, we're given his righteousness when we put our faith in him, right? He is the one who is righteous. In verse 8, it says that he destroyed the works of the devil. Now, this phrase means a radical annihilation. You know, often when we have bugs in our house, we call orchid man, right, to exterminate our bugs, right? Sometimes they have lasting effects, sometimes they don't. But be guaranteed here, this, what Jesus done, has lasting impact. We will not need to call him again to deal with it, right? Because the death, his death, has, because of Jesus' death, the death has been destroyed for those who, ah, I'm not saying that right, sorry, let me make that clear. He destroyed the devil who holds the power of death. In these two senses, the death has been destroyed for now, those who put their trust in Christ can have eternal life. We can experience eternal life now because of the work of Christ. As well as the works hostile to God or characteristics of the devil have been destroyed. Because of Christ's victorious work over the devil in his death, he can provide us daily righteous victory in the lives that would normally, we would be normally tied down to our sins. So because of Jesus' work on our behalf, we can live as children of God. Again, how? We reflect the righteousness of God that's in us, and we reflect the love of God that's in us. Let me do a side note, because there is some challenging verses in here having to do with sin and how we, and, and continuing sinning, and we're the children of the devil. Let me make, especially in light of making sense of when John in earlier places says, confess your sins. If you don't confess your sins, you make him out to be a liar. He also, and we also know the reality that sin still resides in us, and we still need to work that out. So the question is, is John promoting a sinless perfection? Is John saying that if we sin, we're not a child of God, but a child of the devil? What does he mean here? I like what my um, other Old Testament professor says. He says this. John is not talking of some abstract idea with no relation to lived experience. Nor does he have in mind sinless perfection. He probably refers in particular to aberrant doctrine, ethics, or devotions that have recently marred the community's integrity. 
Remember, throughout this letter, John has been confronting some, some errant teachings, right? He's been, he's, he's been reminding the church what it means to have an intimate relationship with God, right? Right belief about Jesus, who's a fully man and fully God, who's come to save us from our sins. Um, love for the word is important. Love for people are important. These three things are important as followers of Christ. And those who've left the church failed in all three of those spiritual tests. They have a corrupt belief in Jesus. They don't love his word, and they do not love others. And so John is confronting these sins in this passage. If, and if you are continuing to live your life in denying the truth about Jesus, if you're living the way you want, void of God's desires, or if you're treating people, not treating people as Jesus would treat people, then you need to ask yourself, warn yourself, are you practicing lawlessness? Are you acting like someone who belongs to another, the devil? And why he's pressing that point we see in verse 9, why is that so important for him? Because John makes an ambitious demands on Christians. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this, but this it is evident, who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor, those, but the one who, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, why? Listen to what... This my Old Testament or New Testament professor says, strongly encourages. He says these things, John says these things because we are uniquely a unique reality, divinely fathered, and therefore graced with a higher ethic than those are only naturally born. You see, being a child of God has the effect of reflecting him in all aspects of our lives, our personal life, our work life, our family life, our sex life. Every aspect of life is, is redefined as being a child of God. And he says, also, that goes the other way. If you're, you're the child of God, if, if you reflect in, in his ways, right? But he's trying to, to remind them that because of Christ and his work on our behalf, we can be different because we have this family relationship with the Father. And this brother is, our, is Jesus as our brother. Now, take my children. As you know, we have adopted two African-American kids, so they don't naturally look like us, even though some have in the past said, oh, you, Val looks like her mom, which we don't understand that, but anyway. <laughs> but there are times, though, that they act like me in how I act or in my personality, right? Good, bad, and the ugly, ugly, right? But what you would do if you get to know me and then if you get to know my kids, you will see that, hey, Hey, they're like Jeff in my personality, the good, bad, and the ugly. That's the thing that happens with us. If, if, we're, if we're getting to know God as our Father, as we're motivated by this love that he has for us, right, then we will begin to show and reflect the righteousness of Jesus and the love of Jesus. See, when we are actively knowing Jesus and getting to know him, we will reflect him to others. We'll, we'll move from being reckless and disinterested to being careful and deeply interested in fighting sin that prevents us from living and loving like Jesus. I end with this powerful illustration from this book. It has to do with crack babies. Listen to this story. As a result of being born to mothers addicted to crack cocaine, these babies are born in bondage to crack. Their plight, their plight saddens us. But crack babies exist in our culture. 
Let me share with you a true account that illustrates the main point of this chapter. A friend named Chisholm tells his story. Coming from an extended family that has adopted many children, the biblical concept of adoption is very warming for me. My relatives who adopted kids did so simply because they desired to, and they did so of their own free choosing. They were not obligated to do so. What is so awesome is that, according to Scripture, before I was even born, God had chosen to adopt me. This is so comforting to me because it means no matter how bad I messed up or mess up, God loves me despite myself. And that's what adoption really is, genuine love. I know because I see it in my relatives. In human terms, it is only genuine love that can lead parents to adopt babies born addicted to crack. Human reason can't explain that. My relatives could have chosen, quote-unquote, a perfect child to adopt and been all right. But they chose perhaps the hardest kids to adopt. They had to fight agencies that didn't like white families adopting black kids, not to mention the social persecution they faced. And doctors who told them to put the babies in institutions because they couldn't be controlled and would never be productive. But my relatives displayed true love, sacrificing sleep, money, time, etc., all to love their adopted child. And then she, he moves. God did even more. God did even more. We are all like crack babies. Sorry if I offend you, but we are all like crack babies, born helpless in circumstances beyond our control. There's nothing redeeming about us, but God's genuine love led him to sacrifice his son so that we might be made his sons and daughters. If you get anything out of this passage, if you've put your faith in Christ, you are a child of God. What an awesome reality for us to enjoy this fellowship with God. God, the Father, through the work of Jesus, has brought those who are born of him into his family. And as his precious children, we bear a family resemblance. We reflect our father and our brother Jesus. This reality should not only amaze us, but it should humble us. Because the truth of the matter is, as indicated in this passage, that when we are to practice righteousness because we are God's sons and daughters, but we can only practice righteousness because Christ and his righteousness abides in us. The only thing that's unique and special about us is because Christ has come to bring us part of that family. And he sets us apart to live holy, righteous, godly, faithful, gracious, compassionate lives before a world that needs to see it. Friends, behold what manner the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Pray with me. Father, I confess I don't often Father, I often blow it. I often sin against people I love, say I love. Forgive me for my hardened heart. Forgive me when I don't resemble the righteousness and love of Christ to my family and to the world who desperately needs it. Father, we all need to be reminded of who we belong to. Because as we're reminded of who we belong to, then we know that we can reflect you because we have that resource available to us. We have the righteousness of Christ. We have the hope that you will come again. 
We have the security stamped on us to say that we are his child because of your work, Jesus. And by faith, we hold to that. We cling to that. So, Father, thank you for clinging to us and reminding us of your great love that you have for us. That behold what manner of love that we, sinners, broken, would have no interest in you at all apart from your pursuit of us. Thank you for that gift of radical grace. May we celebrate that as we go forth this day. And may it impact then how we live in our offices and live in our homes as we live in our neighborhoods. May they see the love and righteousness of Christ being displayed for we are your children and we're able to do that because of your grace. May that be so. Amen.